So I'm carrying on our series about being a follower of Jesus. And the title of this one is uh, Break the Power of the Past. And it's really about the things we have learnt from maybe our family or our culture and, and uh, becoming those who say Jesus is the greatest authority in my life and I'm going to follow his ways. Because all of us are brought up in families and we learn so much from our families, from our mums and dads, from our extended families, from our aunties and uncles. And we all could probably say some magnificent things that we learn from the family we grew up in, from the wider family we grew up in, the things they valued and the things they loved and the things they taught us. Many of us would say there are many things in my family that were kingdom principles. Maybe they were followers of Jesus in your family and you learnt much about following Jesus from your family. Sometimes you can be brought up in a non-believing family, a non-Christian family, and you can learn many good things as people embrace common grace, uh, even if they don't know Jesus. Some of the things we learn in our families are completely neutral. They're not good, they're not bad, they're just the way we did things in our family. And sometimes from our families and our wider families, we can pick up bad habits, or what we could call, we can pick up uh, sinful habits. Because actually none of us are an island, and none of us are just individuals acting alone. We often find ourselves unknowingly carrying the way our family did life. We can often find ourselves uh, doing things the way we learnt from maybe our grandparents or our parents or our aunties and uncles. I want to read some examples from the Bible of how one generation passed on something to the next generation which really wasn't that good, how sinful patterns got passed on. So take for example Abraham. Abraham lied twice about Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterised by lies. Jacob, he lied to almost everyone. And his name actually meant deceiver. Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral and keeping a family secret for more than ten years. So that's lying. Another family, favouritism. Jacob favoured Ishmael. Isaac favoured Esau. Jacob favoured Joseph and later Benjamin. Other examples of family members becoming cut off from one another. Isaac and Ishmael were cut off from one another. Jacob fled his brother Esau and was completely cut off for years. <coughs> Joseph was cut off from his ten brothers for more than a decade. Take for example poor intimacy in marriages. Abraham had a child out of wedlock with Hagar. Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Take another one, David, Solomon and Rehoboam. For example, spiritual and moral compromise. David covers up his adultery and murder of Uriah. Solomon mixes the worship of God of Israel with other gods. 
Rehoboam, Solomon's son, rejects wise counsel and follows the gods of the surrounding nations. Take, for example, sexual sin within this family. David marries many wives and commits adultery with Bathsheba. Solomon takes 700 wives and 300 concubines. Rehoboam takes 18 wives and 60 concubines. Take another example of unresolved conflicts. David has tension with his seven older brothers. Solomon's half-brother Absalom kills his brother and tries to kill his father David. Rehoboam splits with his brother and divides Israel in two. So that's one family passing on really bad habits and sinful patterns from one generation to another. People learning how to do things from grandparents, parents, aunties, uncles, and the way we do things in our family. What's the implication of these stories for us as followers of the Lord Jesus? Walking in a full expression of freedom requires understanding the families we grew up in, the way we did things, what we learned, saw, experienced, becomes like unspoken rules and values. It becomes the way we do life. Some of these things can negatively dominate our day-to-day. Now, I want to say this. This is not about dishonouring our parents. It's not about dishonouring our grandparents. It's just being aware that we're not islands and we are affected by the culture and the values that we grew up in. Let's just take a few different examples of what we can learn. Say, for example, in our family, about relationships. In some families, we learn, don't trust people, they will hurt you. We learn, don't let anyone hurt you. We learn, don't show vulnerability, because someone will hurt you. We might learn in our family, from mum or dad or aunties and uncles or grandparents, about anger and expressing anger. We might learn this, anger is dangerous and bad. Don't get angry about anything. We might learn this, anger, explode in anger to make a point is okay. We might learn when you're passionate, explode in anger, that's okay. We might learn in our family about sarcasm. Saying something to make someone look foolish, we may have learned, well, that's an acceptable way to release anger. We might have learned passive-aggressive. Indirect resistance is an acceptable way to be hostile. What, would, what did we learn about feelings and emotions in our family? Maybe we learned, you're not allowed to have certain feelings. You might have learned that feelings are not even important, don't feel, just don't feel anything. We might learn that reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. That you can just feel, feel it and express it and that's fine. What did we learn about money in our family? Maybe we learned that money is the source of all security. Maybe we learned the more money you have, the more important you are. Maybe we learnt, make lots of money to prove that you made it. What was success defined as in your family? Was success getting into the best schools? Was success defined as having a certain job and making lots of money? 
was success defined only as getting married and having children. So this is not about introspection this morning and going deep and saying, what, what did I... It's about being aware. To grow in Jesus and to grow in our faith, we need to look below the surface of why do we do what we do. Some people say that most of us are only self-aware around 30% of our lives. We don't really know how we affect other people. We don't really know why we react like we do. We're kind of aware of about 30%. They say, actually, it's more healthy to be aware of around 70% of why you do what you do and why you think what you think and why you prioritise what you prioritise. Otherwise, we come into the new life in Jesus, but what we are is stuck and held captive still by the things that we learnt from mum and dad, grandparents and aunties and uncles that maybe were not in line with kingdom and biblical thinking. You cannot change anything that you're not aware of. (laughs) You can't change anything until you become aware of what you previously weren't aware of. Awareness, seeing, aha moments are a gift of God. There's something God gives. We become aware as we walk deeply with other people. As we walk with other people, we become aware in loving dynamic relationships we become aware of how we affect one another we become aware by reading the bible with the holy spirit by looking at the life of jesus by seeing how jesus acted how jesus thought how jesus responded and the holy spirit shaping us to become more christ-like in the way we live our lives we become aware as a work of the holy spirit the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us into all truth. This is the great news, though, if you're a believer this morning. Now, again, we love our families and we love our heritage and we love our cultures. But the great news is that ultimately our biological family does not ultimately determine our future. Even our past decisions that we made that had nothing to do with our family, those things don't determine our future in the new family of Jesus. God is the determiner of our future. God does. Because that's what it means to have a new beginning and a fresh start. See, to be a Christian is something radical and supernatural. Yeah. It's actually to be born again of the Spirit. It's something no human being can do for themselves. And Jesus makes it clear that no human being can, be, can choose to be born. No baby gets asked before they're born, do you want to be born? They are born. <laughs> becoming a believer, becoming a Christian is a gift of God done by the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous second birth. See, the believer is not just forgiven about their past, the decisions we've made, but we are actually freed from the power of sin that were present in the bad habits or sinful patterns that we actually picked up. That's the reality that Romans 6 talks about. Before you're a Christian, if you imagine a marionette, 
and sin is controlling the puppet. You did, acted, spoke according to sinful patterns that were in your sinful nature. To be a believer is to be born again, and it's like the, the, the strings are, are cut. Now we are in the position of free choice. When we become aware, we're actually free to say there's a new power at work in me, the power of resurrected life, so now I can present my members, it says in Romans 6, my mouth, my body, my eyes, my thoughts, my life, my energy, in line with the new life that I have in Christ. I don't have to react like Granny did. I don't have to prioritise money like Dad did. I don't have to do the things that I picked up and learnt in the culture of my family. I've got a new life and I can live in a new way. Mm. Wonderfully, God's very life is in the believer, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Eternal, infinite God takes up residence yeah. in a human life. Amen. All of God. Not just bit of God. Wow. All of God. The person of God now lives in the believer's heart. A Christian isn't someone who's just got a superior morality and a better way of doing life. A, a Christian is like a never-before-seen human on the planet. There are only two races on the planet, the Bible says. There is the man and the woman who is still in Adam. That's the, the reality of still being a slave and a prisoner to the sinful nature. And there is another race on planet Earth, Christ. So uh, we've got wonderful things in common, beloved, whether you're from whatever nation you are. We're all Christians, if you're a Christian in this room. So we're all in Christ. There's only two people on the planet. Ezekiel, looking forward, said God's going to give people a new heart. God's going to give people a new nature. God's going to give people a new spirit living in them. So when we become Christians, we are spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of Jesus. Colossians puts it like this. We are transferred from the kingdom and the realm of darkness and brought into the kingdom and the realm of light. Immediately, radically, not part, partly in darkness, partly in light. No, completely transferred into another realm, into another kingdom. And that's where we live. So the believer doesn't go from dirty to a little less dirty to a little less dirty to a little less dirty. The Bible makes it clear. You start off as glorious, then you go from glorious to glorious to glorious to glorious. Glory to glory to glory to glory. Yeah? That's the call on the us in our journey with Jesus. So what determines your new identity? What determines my, my identity? My ultimate identity is this. It's no longer blood or biological family, but, as someone says, it's the blood of Jesus. It's God. My ultimate identity is I am a believer. You are a believer. I belong to God. The Bible says we're adopted into the new family of God. Romans 8, 14 to 17. We cry out, Papa! Abba, Father, that's, that's, we have the same intimacy, opportunity as Jesus had when he was on earth. Hallelujah. 
Are you enjoying your intimacy with God? Amen. Do you cry out, Papa, Abba, you're for me, you love me, you enjoy me, you like me? Or are you still trying to go from just, just a little less of a slave, a little less dirty, to a little less dirty? Now the gospel says it's a radical new beginning into a radical new family. We have a new and permanent relationship because with a new father. Amen. Our debts, our sins, cancelled. Good news. Amen. All of it. Completely gone. We're given a brand new name. Christian. Brand new name. Amen. Holy Spirit, right now, breaking off the power of old names. Someone may call you stupid, useless, worthless. You've got a new name. Amen. Christian. Amen. You've got a brand new inheritance. Some of us think, we, our family, there's no inheritance. And God says, you've got a brand new inheritance. You've got an inheritance of freedom. You've got an inheritance of hope. You've got an inheritance of glory. You've got an inheritance of the resources of heaven. You walk along, you've got access to heaven's wisdom, heaven's power, heaven's healing, heaven's miracles, heaven's prophetic insights. You're so rich, you can just draw on it in, through your relationship and intimacy with God. So, <laughs> in the light of new creation, you and I are called to learn a new way of doing life in the family of Jesus. Amen. So when you say yes to the life that Jesus is inviting you to, you are actually saying, I am coming into, your, into a relationship with you, Jesus, to relearn how to do life God's way. Yeah. To learn how to be, you become reparented by God. Just let me read you a little section. This is, this is... So, in the ancient world of Jesus, honouring one's mother and father was an extremely high value. Yet, without hesitation, Jesus repeatedly called men and women to leave their biological families in order to follow him, saying, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, anybody who says, mum and dad did it this way, I'm doing it that way, above you, Jesus, is not worthy. Jesus defined his new family as those who do his will and listen to him. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The new life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, so when Paul became a believer, he turned away from all the privileges and power he had as a Pharisee. He called it rubbish and dunk. He just turned his back on it. It was like a brand new identity. 
Jesus never promised that being a disciple of his was the easy way. We're not, we're not, say, come to Jesus. He'll make everything beautiful and easy. Jesus never promised that. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, in other words, whoever wants to learn, serve, follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then, in other words, if anything we learned from the way our families did things that does not line up to the new way in Jesus, however deeply ingrained it is in our thinking and attitudes and action, it has to die. It has to go. There's no arguments. The moment we become aware and see it as a sinful habit, that's not in line with the gospel of the kingdom, it must go. It cannot be held on to. We have to do his will and listen to him. He is God and we are not. To die to self, not just once, but as a way of life. I'm going to land by saying, how? Steve Backland says this. Feeling bad is about 1% of repentance. True repentance is changing the way you think about something. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. So, for example, if someone learned from mum or dad, when I don't get what I want, I get angry and I punch things and I shout and I scream, and that's how I learnt. That has to go. Just has to go. That has to be repented of and to learn the new way of Jesus. So whatever it is you're thinking, I learned that, but it doesn't line up with the way of Jesus, be really, really specific about it. And come to the Bible and says, what does the Bible say about this? Apply scripture to those embedded unhealthy patterns. If you don't walk in community with other believers, begin to get into community and begin to walk deeply with people so that you can be in loving relationships where people can speak into your life and you can speak into another person's life. That's why Jesus gave gave the gift of the church to walk deeply with others, that we might be transformed in our mind, outworking it in community. A transformed mind of thinking biblically, but never gets outworked in real relationships with anybody is kind of useless, really, because we're on this planet to love people and to love God. Another way could be you just tell a friend, hey, I was listening to that and I realised, I picked this up, I learnt this, I'm going to confess this to you, because the Bible says... Confess your sins to one another. Another thing could be, get counselling. Say, you know what, I'm going to book myself into some counselling sessions because I'm going to talk this through, I'm going to unravel this ball of string. It could be sozo, which is getting, a Greek word is saved, healed, delivered. Getting a sozo where you begin to 
outwork the things that stop you connecting with God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It can happen by getting real with God. I'm stuck, God. It can come by inviting his power in and saying, I'm not going to be able to bulldoze my way through this. This is going to take the power of God. This is going to take the hope that comes from knowing that God's with me. This is going to come by surrender to him. That's what steps is about, encountering power, coming to a place of hope and walking out surrender. That's a way at which you could work through something for 12 weeks. It can happen through getting into a group, getting into a group that looks at uh, growing in God. Tracy's going to talk into a minute about living your financial best. Uh, there, there are groups in the church, the Wednesday group that meets here this Wednesday, getting into community, walking it out. The greatest thing is that you have hope. God wastes absolutely nothing, especially your pain and failures. He can redeem it and turn it into something that is beautifully glorifying to him. All you have to do is offer it back to him. You can get a great future out of a painful past. Someone said, um, we were in a meeting the other day, I think it was Fiola said, out of the mess is your message. He can redeem it so that that thing that held you, you get free of and you take that message of hope to other people. So I'm going to pray for us now because one of the things I do know about God, he works in both process, which is my own story, Rachel and I wrote this book, you can get a copy here, that he does work in process. He, he does uh, uh, take us on steady steps and grow us. But I also know he's the God of the suddenly, he's the hero who suddenly turns up, he's the one who opens the eyes and we become aware, and he's the one through his grace and power causes something to just drop off like it was never there. Amen. He's that close. Amen. I've heard multiple stories of that happening, that not everything has to be done over a long period. We can believe in the moment of awareness, in the moment of repentance, for our minds to be speeded up and changed very quickly. So I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you're not looking for us to, to, to push through walls. You're not looking for us to try and motor through things. We can just be honest of how much we need you. And I pray for any here this morning who think, I've learned something this morning and I want to see transformation. I say, would you come now? in your power. We're more or less praying that over ourselves. Come to me in your power. I can see it's like the record got scratched across. I've, I'm aware. I can see it. And I ask for your power to come now into this area. God, I'm not going to go into feeling bad and beating myself up or any kind of condemnation. I want to change my mind and I invite your power to transform the way I think and feel and act. I ask you for your values. I ask you for your way of doing things. I ask you for your life to well up in me that I might have a new way of speaking, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting in this area. And God, I thank you for the hope that comes, the hope 
that you are greater than I, that you are the hero and the helper. And I ask you to come, even in this moment, as the hero, as the one who pulls down the Jericho walls, as the one who parts the Red Sea and, and causes me to walk through to the other side into freedom, into the one who, who does a work through the resurrection of Jesus, that we die with Christ and have been raised with Christ to a newness of life. I pray, God, for even a connection to that newness of life right now in your name, Lord Jesus. And I pray as well for decisions of humility, of learning, of being a student that would say, I surrender this to you. That I want to be someone who both hears your word and does your word. I want to be someone who builds his life, her life on the rock. Not on the sand, but both a hearer and a doer of the word. Someone who recognises your magnificent authority, Lord Jesus. That I want to hear your will, do your will, and listen to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.